Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are Willie and Christy Donahoe. Welcome to the podcast, you two. Thank, Thank you. you. Just by introduction, I know these two. I took a job at Novell about 20 some odd years ago, and one of my bosses was Willie, and Willie's here in my home. I feel like I'm under review to make sure I do everything <laughs> right. Just teasing, Willie. Willie was a wonderful boss and taught me high-tech marketing. And and Willie and Christy have stepped in the space of, of helping our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about their journey. The thing our listeners may be most aware of is an effort in Sandy, Utah, where pride flags filled a neighborhood. And they are the two behind that. And that's going to be kind of the focus of the podcast, but a lot of it will be their journey to step in this space and what happened in their neighborhood. A lot of listeners will be interested in what happened and what were the reactions and the conversations and how did they come up with the idea and how they see the future. So this will be them telling their story. Willie and Christy are the parents of four children. Willie is an attorney. He left high-tech marketing like I did mm -hmm. and is an attorney, um, passed the California bar. And Christy is a financial advisor and helps people be safe for retirement. Is that yeah, fair, Christy? That, yep, that's right. So anyway, um, let's start. Just tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you live, and and um, but maybe just start there. Well, um, thanks for having us. Richard, it's great to see you. Will you spell your names too? Willie, will you start and spell your first and last name? Yeah. Um, first name, W-I-L-L-Y, Donahue, D-O-N-A-H-O-O. -O. And I'm Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y. Okay. It's good to know how to spell people's yeah. names. Go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> well, we're um, both from California originally. I was born in Southern California and Christy was born in Northern California. Um, we moved to Utah over 20 years ago and uh, raised our family here. Um, I'm a member of the church. I was a member of the church when I met Christy. She wasn't, and uh, we got married. She wasn't a member of the church. We agreed to raise our children in the church. We have a son on a mission right now in San Antonio. His name's Ross, and... Uh, he actually comes home in July. And he's the youngest of he's your the youngest He's the youngest son. boy. Yep. We have three boys and one girl. That's great. How long were you in high-tech marketing, Willie? About 20 years. I did four. You did two decades. What caused <laughs> you to leave high-tech marketing? That's outside of the podcast scope, but yeah, I've well, never heard um, that answer. You know, I was working in high-tech, and the last uh, high-tech uh, job I had was in... Um, a legal services startup and my twin brother is an attorney and that connected us and so after that startup i hooked up with my twin brother and helped him with his firm and then i decided to become an attorney and help more our firm and are as you as your fraternity of of lawyers are there many that came out of high-tech marketing uh not in our area there's a lot <laughs> of attorneys in patent law and uh intellectual property, but we're civil litigation, plaintiff work, and I'm not sure there's not a, there's a lot. It's just of an interesting career. Yeah, it is. It and is. I knew how passionate you were about high-tech marketing, So, I, and you're passionate about the work you're doing. Yeah, I'm passionate. He's just passionate, yeah. <laughs> and Christy, how long have you been in financial planning? Uh, about five years now, That's actually. Great. So I was about 20 years in high-tech, 
in you, Silicon uh-huh. Valley. I've forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, and what part of high tech? Were you in? Were you an engineer? Were you in marketing? No, I was, in, I was in sales for advertising. Okay. So I worked for PC Magazine mostly. Yes. And, and that's actually how Willie and I met because... Back in the day when there was a lot of established high-tech companies here, I was traveling out trying to sell advertising space, and he was a hard sell. Yeah, but. he probably wouldn't <laughs> buy anything. <laughs> That's so anyway, bringing back yeah. memories. Yeah. I came out of low-tech, and that four years in high-tech was really good for me because I just learned a lot that I didn't ex- – I came out of college after mar- you know high-tech sort of yeah. happened. Yeah. PC world yeah. preceded my day. So oh, personally, okay. it was a really good experience for me to have some high-tech marketing. And you all were very patient with me being a low-tech guy, trying to get up to speed on netware and software and marketing and all that stuff. So, so those are good years. The other thing I remember, we're going to get into the content here, is your love of the Dodgers. Now, is that both <laughs> of you equally? No, that's mostly him. But as... It, Willie is very passionate about things. And when he gets going, it's hard not to get, you know, swallowed up in that and get excited about the things that he's excited about. Yeah. I grew up in Los Angeles and the Dodgers, I don't know, came to Los Angeles about the time I was born. And what year were you born? I was born in 62. All right. You're younger than me by a year. Yeah. But that's when the Dodger Stadium was, was built. And so we just grew up as a Dodger and one of the when one Dodger got traded we actually bought his home which so, Dodger um <laughs> no, I stumped you. no it's the, a long time no, ago it, he um the Dodger that that we bought his home uh, I want to say um you're gonna get it yeah. now I'm gonna tell a Dodger story yeah while you're thinking of that is growing up in Salt Lake for some reason I love the Dodgers and I'd hook up a little AM antenna on my roof and I put this wire, I'm sure it would have been a lightning rod if we ever get hit by lightning from the, along the roof of my home from the chimney to a tree and somehow geared it so I could hear Vince Scully's broadcasts originating in L.A. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, this is the 1970s. Yeah. And I'd, every night I'd go to sleep to listening to baseball and Vince Scully, who's still alive and broadcasting yeah. oh, up yeah. until maybe a year ago. Yeah. And, and so, Willie, that's how I became a Dodger fan. And it was just this, and I'm still a Dodger fan. They've lost two in a row after winning seven in a row. So we better get to the content, yeah. unless you've remembered the Dodger. Yeah. Well, I, I uh, his name slipped my mind. But it's, right. the, it's the gentleman, you know him. He just passed away uh, two weeks ago, and he was uh, got traded to, when he got traded to. Oh, Billy Buckner. Yeah. Billy Buck. Uh, when he where he got traded from the Dodgers, and then he had the ball go through his legs. At the Red Sox. With the Red Sox, and we bought his home when he was traded. And I like that story of him coming back to Boston long afterwards and sort of reconciling with the fans. I remember reading that story after he passed away, and I thought that was wonderful reconciliation in a fan base that really felt bad and pretty angry towards Billy Buck. I think that's what they used to call him. Well, I agree. Now I feel like we're doing a sports broadcast. (laughs) All you sports fans, we are diversifying here. Yeah. So, uh, thoughts on Billy Buck? No, I was just going to say that when where I grew up, I grew up in Calabasas, California, and you know Steve and Cindy Garvey were there. Wow. My, my mother taught Ron Say's kids how to swim, and we bought Billy Buckner's house. So you know, it, there's some history there. So let's talk to one of the stories that's always interesting. And I'm not a natural ally in the sense I have close family members that are LGBTQ, and you're the same way. Mm-hmm. Neither of you have 
close family members that are LGBTQ. So share with our listeners how you stepped in this space. And that may have been a talk you gave at church in well, September. In, in, and I don't know if it's before then or about then. Well, in 2015, uh, around September, we I was asked to give a talk in church, and, and I spoke about visitors being welcome. And there was... Uh, I tried to make the point that when we say visitors are welcome, that means people who swear, people who smoke, and people who are gay. And I said that... In, you said the word gay over the pulpit in, in an LDS congregation. And and I said, I followed that up with, I know what everyone is saying, or I know what everyone is thinking when I say that. Everyone is thinking, I accept everybody, and they are welcome here. And everyone in the congregation, as I said that, nodded their heads, Yes. I said, but that's not the question. The question isn't what you think. The question is, what is the person who smokes or who drinks or is gay? What do they think? Do they feel welcome? And I said to the congregation, if they don't, then as Ricky said to Lucy, we have some splaining to do. And it was interesting. That was in September of 15. And I was a gospel principles, Sunday school teacher at the time. And uh, I, I, was cons uh, I, I wasn't sure how that would be received. Overwhelming positive. People came up to me for weeks afterwards. And this is your ward, Sandy, Utah. Yep, yeah. the same ward. But they were very, very supportive. They, they liked the talk. They, they loved it. They appreciated it. They thanked me for it. I love that pivot in there. Of not just saying, I love that. That's very thoughtful. Well, and a lot of people, and I think that's it's it's the issue we had with the flags or the opportunity we had with the flags is we all feel like we're accepting, but there are people who don't feel accepted. And that is an opportunity for us to correct. And we'll talk about these flags because we think that really helped send the message to people that they are accepted and that they do fit in. So what happened next? You gave this talk and then you, why did you continue to get further and further engaged in this? Well, we have a strong belief in, in loving everybody and accepting everybody and everybody has value. And there's this great talk that, or, or saying that Mr. Rogers shared that is just really core to, to, my belief in that is that um, as human beings, our job in life is to help people realize how rare and how valuable each one of us really is. That each of us has something that no one else has or ever will have. Something inside that is unique to all time. And it's our job, Mr. Rogers said, to encourage each other to discover that uniqueness and to provide ways of developing its expression. So we have all these people who are unique, and I felt like when we say, oh, my church says visitors welcome, that's welcoming visitors of all types, that they're unique and they, and they come in. And, and I was troubled in 2015 in December when the... the um, you know, same-sex marriage was passed, and the church took some positions relative to that, and it helped. It, it caused people to wonder how how they fit in, <laughs> and I, I, that really 
was exactly the opposite of what I said in September. This is in November, and I'm, I'm like, what? You know, I thought we were taking two steps forward, and we just took three steps back. So that— And you're referring to the November policy statements? Yes. Yeah. And so I, we felt like that wasn't something that's going to help Utah be more accepting and inclusive. That was the first thing. And the second thing was when, I think it was in 17, that the suicide rates came out from the CDC. And Utah was number one in suicide in the country. And I kind of thought, wow, that's like the shoe cobblers whose kids have no shoes. <laughs> we have this great, we're, there's a great people here and there's great organizations, great programs, great things, but there's a high rate of suicide. And we weren't we weren't number one by a hair. We were number one by two and a half times. And I just thought, we're better than that. Utah is better than that. And that was really hard for me, too, just identifying with that suicide rate. And it even, suicide happened in our community. So my son, when he was going to Corner Canyon, somebody that he knew committed suicide. And this is somebody that, um, you know, we had interacted with in our community as well. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. We, this is not okay. We need to do something about this. And I agree with that. And one of the things that's interesting is I meet people that are wanting to engage. I get a lot of messages. I want to do something. And, but they don't, there's not like an, a set way to sort of do something. And some people get involved with different organizations and some people will just go do something completely on their own that nobody's ever thought of before. Mm-hmm. Like maybe Stephanie Larson did with with Encircle, and you've done right. with Flags, and I think right. it's very interesting the personal sort of feelings people have and what they're doing, and I think that gives examples for others of what to do, and that's really kind of the focus. Do you remember Willie's talk in church, oh, yeah. Christy? I do. Did you know he was going to say that? I did, and it was kind Were of a ca- big deal. Uh huh. I was. I was. You were I, sitting there in the yeah, congregation. Yeah, I was sitting there. So Willie has a way of being able to say things that I I would not have the courage to he say. He is very gifted at this. <laughs> he is, and he's he has a way of saying it without people feeling threatened as well in in any way. And so I thought it was great, and I was anxious to see how people responded and it was, it was pretty amazing. And the, and some of the people that came up to him afterwards to say, wow, that was really great. And I can see how maybe I think I'm accepting, but maybe I really haven't been. And it was surprising to me, but it made me feel more, I don't know, more connected. I think a little bit knowing that, oh, it's okay that we talk about this and it's okay that we say, the gay word or smokers or drinkers. And it is such an important point to be able to have, to be inclusive. And so it was, it, it was a profound moment. And I would say that everybody that heard that talk, if you asked them today, they probably would still remember that. Cool. It had that much of an impact. The, the thought that I had and, and, oh, that I were an angel, what I would like to think is if someone's being bullied or someone doesn't feel accepted or someone's having trouble and they saw a church that they can duck in there and they'd be accepted. And I just love the story of Les Miserables and Jean Valjean and the priest accepted him and then he stole the silver. And when he got busted, the priest said, you forgot the candlesticks. And I just think that's, that's such an unconditional acceptance. And 
our churches should be those types of places. And I was, that's what I was, that's where I was going. We, on our church, we say visitors welcome, but are, do they feel welcome? And do they feel that they can duck in here and be accepted? If they're being bullied or chased or they're having a struggle, can they duck in there and be loved? And that's, that's what I was trying to say in my talk. And I think those talks help us to look inward. I think one of the challenges of our culture is it's hard for us to some, like, sometimes look inward and say, how do we need to do better? Um, and I th I've thought about even one of the tools of Satan is to create a, f a narrative that, that all the bad stuff is happening away from us. And, that, and I agree that Satan's real and he wants to destroy us. But sometimes I think it causes not to self-reflect as a culture and what do I need to do better and could I, is it I, to use a scripture term, is it I? And I've tried, I don't claim to know all the answers, but I'm certainly willing to ask, is it I? And do I have work to do in this space to do the things you talked about in your talk? Yeah, that's a great point. Talk about where you went next, because you can't speak in church every week. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe you can. So as you where did you go? I think I know you connected eventually with Encircle. Was that the next place you went? Well, we we were looking for places that were helping the youth in Salt Lake. We tried to reach out to a couple of organizations. I think there was one in Ogden. There was one in Salt Lake, but there really wasn't an organization that we felt was on point that was helping the youth feel accepted, um, and particularly youth that might be um, associated with the. LDS community and, and trying to understand where they fit in there. We think that was the, a, a really important area that we were trying to focus on. And when we heard about Encircle, we thought that was right on point. So we jumped on the opportunity to, to get involved there. We met Stephanie and, and we knew some of the other people associated with it. We used to live in Palo Alto, you know, with, by Steve and Barb. And so we knew of them. And so we met, you know, you were there. So yeah, there, there was a lot of people and it felt great to be behind that. And um, so we've continued to, to support in circle and the Salt Lake city house. We've, um, been involved in that a, a lot. So, and are you on the board or an advisory board at in circle or yeah, we're, we're on the advisory board of okay. the Salt Lake city house, but I just want to say about in circle, we, we met with Stephanie before it launched and wow, that's cool. And I have to say hearing her vision and what she was going to do. I was so inspired by that. And then in the first open house of that home down in Provo, which you were at, I just was amazed at all the people that came and the kind of support. And I, I, I thought, this is, this is neat. This is really incredible. And that's where I got even more inspired, I think, to really... When was that February ground that February event? Do you remember what year is it? Twenty seventeen. So this is roughly yeah. a year and a few months after your yeah. talk. Yeah. So February twenty seventeen. Yeah. And, and and we stayed, you know, close to that and watched that. We weren't that involved in Provo. Um, we were involved. We were supporters of it, and uh, we thought. It was a tremendous success in being in Utah Valley, providing those resources to people who needed them. And it was just a, a positive, successful program. And yeah. um, so we thought that was good and, and we continue to support that and any programs like that. Yeah, I really support, I've enjoyed volunteering in Circle. I enjoyed being there and I see this gap and I 
as I came to that grand opening event, I think Mayor Curtis was the mayor at the time, cut the ribbon. I was yeah. I was struck with the the unity in the community of all these yeah. different groups could come together. And I think people want that. I think they actually want to connect and not have the us versus them and find common ground. I think what you just said is really important. You said people want that. The people of Utah are just some of the most awesome people on the face of this world. They are tremendously um, gifted, talented, accepting, loving. And we've seen that. And as this journey continues, you can see the hearts of the people. And um, it's been reassuring. It's been amazing. And it's been um, uh, comforting to know that these people are so loving. Did you bring any of your kids to that February grand opening? We did. <laughs> Who came, yeah, Christy? We we brought Marielle, and then um, who's our youngest daughter? She's seventeen now, and then our son Ross, the one that's on a mission right now. He he came and he brought a friend of his that was getting ready to go out on a mission, and that that has always been really important for us that our kids have been brought up feeling like you know, hey, we love everybody and be inclusive and be open and being be accepting. We're the kind of family that can talk about anything with each other. And Good. but the fact that they came and that they saw this and that they um, were supportive and they they saw what is occurring here in our own backyard um, was important to us as a family. Can they handle that? Were they having these discussions anyways? Or was it stretching for them or uncomfortable for them? It wasn't stretching or uncomfortable for them. And that's that's. That's an important point. I think that um, the youth, they don't have an issue with this. They are, for the most part, pretty accepting. I think it's adults like our, you know, around our age that struggle with it a little bit. But the youth are not having an issue with this. They're, I think in general, they're, they're, it's, it's not a big deal. Will you tell us the story of Elder Ross Donahoe's first day in San Antonio? Go ahead, Willie. <laughs> well, it, you know, he would be the best person to share that story because he was there. But I did get a letter from him. And I remember when he he's on a Spanish-speaking mission, so he spent a lot of time in the MTC. And I remember the day he went to Texas. And I, I even told Christy, this is a big deal. This is the first day of a LDS young man's mission in the field and he's he's going to texas today so that was something that we reflected on and they have a program i guess in san antonio where they sometimes take the missionaries to the alamo which is a popular tourist attraction and they introduce the missionaries to they you know welcome to san antonio this is the alamo and it's famous and they give the missionaries a chance to go share the gospel with people at the alamo and ross his first person that he ran into at the Alamo, first day of his mission. As he walked by him, he said, the person said to Ross, you don't want to talk to me. And Ross stopped and says, why do you say that? And he said, because I'm gay and your church doesn't like people who are gay. And as I heard that from Ross, I was shocked because this is San Antonio. He's on his mission for the first time. This is the first person he met. And this person has this belief that Ross doesn't want to talk to him because he's gay. And Ross, I, I think partly because of his exposure, um, said 
his response to him was very sincere. And he said, I'm so sorry someone's done something that's caused you to feel that way or think that way. And he said, I want you to know. And Ross said, the, the person put his phone down and looked at Ross in the eye. And Ross said, I want you to know that um, I love you and I know God loves you. And they had a really heartfelt conversation. And that, you know, further helped us realize that this is not a, a, a Utah issue or a, a Sandy issue or a Salt Lake City issue. This is something that um, people struggle with throughout the country, throughout the world. And we were happy that Ross was a little bit more able to address that. And, and, you know, very happy about that. I think I reached out to you for some more materials to send to him, knowing he's going to run into that again. Um, so, so that was his experience. And, and uh, that just told us this is not an isolated issue. This is just an issue that exists throughout. Well, that story brings tears to my eyes every time I've heard it. Mm -hmm. And um, lots of the thoughts go through my head first of what great parents you are that you gave Ross the tools to have that conversation and how many missionaries want to do the right thing, but have never had the training to do that and have never known what kind of a conversation to have. But, and then it's to me, Ross implemented the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did exactly what Christ would have done at the Alamo. Mm -hmm. And he would have said, I love what Ross said. It was very simple mm -hmm. and it was very powerful. And I have to think that guy at the Alamo will never forget that experience for the rest of his life. That Mormon elder that mm -hmm. came up to him said that. Yeah. And yeah. a little bit of hope and a little bit of healing. And I just, that's a home run experience. Yeah. That, but you're not probably going to get that training at the MTC right now. I hope we kind of get that training um, and maybe in Sunday school. And I think that's, Ross didn't compromise our doctrine. He taught our doctrine. It's not like Ross went rogue. No. Oh, right, right. <laughs> he yeah. just taught what Jesus would taught. And we just don't quite have the ability to normalize that. And that's what I think we will. Yeah. And it will help our church grow. And yeah. so more people will f have a feeling just like you communicate in your talk about visitors welcome. Yeah. And I think that's um, on this journey that I've had with Willie over the last few years that I've come to realize is that it's not just about us saying that we accept people. You really have to be accepting. And in order to be accepting, you have to do things that are accepting so that the people that feel marginalized or not accepted, they start feeling and seeing that, oh, maybe they do accept me. So it's not until they feel accepted that we've really done our job of accepting. And that's what I'm really proud about with Ross, that he was able actually to do something. It was his action. He was active about it, not just passive thinking, oh, well, we accept you, you know, so. so and he may have been waiting for a cue from the more experienced missionaries in that situation because he's on day one. Right. That's kind of the other interesting element of the story is he knew to do the right thing and he may not have gotten any cues to do that. I don't think he did. In fact, he, he was with a couple he, of other he missionaries. Said that actually, yeah. a couple of the other missionaries responded first, and the gentleman just continued to look at his phone. And then when they left, Ross approached him personally and 
you know, individually one on one and just said, Hey, and that's when the person put their phone down and looked at Ross and Ross was able to just say, listen, you know, I'm sorry. I love you. And I know God loves you. And that's, that's just, you know, end of story. Yeah. That's, that's the message. Right. And I hope, I hope the person that he told it to really felt the sincerity that Ross told it to him. Ross thought he did because of his, put his phone down, put yeah. his phone down, stopped looking at it and looked at Ross. And, but you know, there's a, who knows where that person's been. And <laughs> yeah. So I love this idea. You've got to act mm-hmm. if you're going to. And so talk about, you know, the flag project. I'm going to call it, do you have a brand for it? I'm no. Yeah, it I know we don't have, I'm calling it the we flag need project in Sandy. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so on Facebook, one day I saw this um, post from uh, Project Rainbow. And Project Rainbow is an organization that supports lots of different organizations. But one of the things that they wanted to do was to get um, rainbow flags out to homes during Pride Week. And they said, you know, we'll come deliver it to your home and put it up. And it's $15. And if you get 10 homes to do it, the the price of the flags is $10. So at first I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a flag. And so then I thought, "Mm, but wow, I wonder if I could get 10 neighbors to do this with me. And for me to actually put that out, so I put that out there on Facebook and invited my neighborhood to um, join me in a flag. And I said, I'll buy 10 flags and let me know who's in. And uh, I was nervous about it because again, this this is requiring people to take action and actually do something about it. And so I did that and we had um, two people right away say, hey, I'm in. And then it kind of fell flat. And then I think we um, talked to a couple of other people and they said, oh yeah, you know, I'd be willing to do that. So I said, okay, can you then post it on my Facebook page? Because then it'll get, you know, more views and everything. And maybe we'll get some more traction. And so I think three more people went in. And um, so we had about seven people at that point. And this is May and of I, 2019. Yeah. It's actually May. eight. It, it, no, it's, it was, it was, eight, in, was before conference. So this Richard. is in April. It, it oh. was before conference. May, March. No, it was April, early April. Early April when this started. And it's that, that timing is unique because there was an announcement that the church made right before conference. And this was before that. And that was the policy statements being rolled back. Yeah, retracted. So, so Christy did that. When she put that out there, that was huge. And But there were some people that we thought, you know, they would want a flag. And so we went to them individually. And that's when we got, you know, went from two to, to seven. We had some great support from some neighbors in our um, neighborhood that were totally behind this and, and encouraged us. They were some of the first people to say, I'm in. But when we asked a couple others that we knew would be in, they said they would do it. And so that gave me the idea of, why don't we just personally ask everybody and not leave it to social media? And so I said to Christy, let's do a letter. And she looked at me. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> she said, ah, you go ahead and, uh, and you, you, you do the letter. And, uh, I thought, I'm going to do a letter. I'm going to write a letter to my neighbors. And so I spent some time and I wrote a one-page letter. And I, I looked at the goals of Project Rainbow. I looked at 
you know, what does a pride flag mean? And I shared, and I really, what I call in the letter, made a neighbor to neighbor ask. And if I could just say one of the key things I said in the letter was that we thought it would just be amazing if our Autumn Ridge neighborhood would send the message loud and clear to our LGBTQ family members, neighbors, and friends that this neighborhood is safe and that love, peace, hope is here for everyone and that each and every person is accepted unconditionally. That was the movie in my mind, right? And I wanted to help make that happen. So I started typing up the letter and I went down to Kinko's to copy it and I made a bunch of copies. And I remember the one evening I was at the table, Christy and I were at the kitchen table and I'm, I've got a stack of envelopes, a stack of letters. I've got a Mr. Rogers quote I'm gonna put with the letter and I'm addressing it using our little neighborhood map. And she's kind of leaving it up to me, right? This is, this is my idea on her idea. Um, but we sent them out on April 15th. We sent out, um, we sent out 50 letters and then we sent out 20 more. So we wow. sent out 70, 70 letters. letters. Yeah. And we couldn't even do... Do people would get the flag free or did they have to buy the flag? Well, the, the letter made the proposal that I, I, I said, let's, let's do this. I'll buy the flags. And then if you want to donate, okay. then, then you can pay us 10 bucks. And... What's kind of a funny aside is as I'm writing up this letter, <clears throat> I'm on the Pride, the Project Rainbow's website, and they have this big red thing that says, we're sold out. <laughs> and I said, Christy, did you, did you buy 10 flags yet? And she yeah, goes, I no. <laughs> so I said, we're, we're kind of sitting here. Um, it's a little exposed. Yeah. But... Yeah, so that 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 I know I take responsibility. That kind of happens with. I would me, assume but, that someone would run out of flags. Right. So. Well, so and, so I contacted them and and said we'll take all you got. And he said, I, "How many do you need?" I said, "Do you have 50? He said, "Yeah." I said, "How about 60? He goes, "I may be able to get you 60. So, so I said, "I'll send you six hundred dollars." I want. I'm in for sixty flags. Is this a local Which company or is this a different state? Local. No, it's local. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. they, they, it's a nonprofit. And yeah. They, they had this idea of making flags available. And so we threw down, we threw down for $600, 60 flags and the letters went out. Yeah. So, and we thought, we thought, well, if we have 60 flags in our front yard, that's what we'll do. So one of the things on the letter, <clears throat> in the letter that we said was, um, We said, if we as a collective neighborhood send this message with rainbow flags in the front of each home and only one person sees it as a beacon of love, acceptance, and a message of hope, it is worth it. If other neighborhoods see it as an example and choose to send similar messages of love and inclusion to their families, friends, and neighbors, then even better. So that was our goal. Can we help one person's you know, journey be brighter and, and more enjoyable? And I think also that's the part that motivated me initially just to say 10 flags, which at the time I thought that was big, <laughs> was being at Encircle. Willie and I go there um, a lot on Friday nights, and we sit with a lot of parents that have gay children. And hearing their stories 
just really has impacted me. And I realized that again, once again, you know, we have, we have, we have to do something. And I don't know of anyone that may, um, have a gay child in our neighborhood actually, but I just thought statistically there has to be, there just has to be. And if we can put up these flags in our neighborhood and just one child drives through and it, it changes their perception of things, changes their day, changes their feeling of maybe I, there's some hope in here, just one child. I thought we have to, we have to start somewhere. And so, um, you know, again, as Willie was saying, just one, if one person this can impact, um, that's okay. It's worth it to put ourselves out there. And it was really neat because um, very shortly after those letters went out, we got the one person that it impacted. And we had a text message from a woman that lives four doors down from us that we knew, but we didn't know. And um, she had read the letter and she texted us and said, I love this. I love this letter. I have a gay son. Wow. And I'm so happy our neighborhood is doing this. And we both just felt, you know, a little emboldened and we're like, that's our person. I mean, I'm so happy. And this, this is a, this is a couple, they're really great. The calls, they were, they were quoted in the, um, KSL, KSL article. They've been living in our neighborhood for years and they deliberately decided that they were going to be private and stick to themselves for 12 years because they have a gay son and they just felt like they didn't know if they would really would be accepted. And, um, she's, she's practically my best friend now. She is, she's like a different person. She's so excited that this neighborhood is showing acceptance. And she said, she was over at her house last night and she said, I have friends in this neighborhood now. I can be walking my dog and say hi to somebody and they say hi back. And, and I know them now it's taken that many years for that. I just really touched. Yeah. So There's a lot of healing that is occurring in your neighborhood. Well, uh, it is yeah. great because the neighborhood is becoming really neighborly. And their, you know, barriers are falling down and people are getting to know each other. And it's a great neighborhood. I mean, we've lived there for a long time. It was great when we moved in. We were accepted. It's great now. People are accepted. But people are accepted in certain ways and certain boxes, perhaps. And in our neighborhood, we've been able to, you know, eliminate some of those misconceptions or some of those barriers or some of those boxes. And it's just become... A, you know, a, a great neighbors, a, a, a good neighborhoods become better. You know, it's it's not like it was bad and now it's going good. It it was good now it's even better. Yeah. Tell us on the letters you sent out. Where are you on? You've got fifty flags, sixty, mm -hmm. sixty, and you've got letters out. How many? Yeah. Where are you now? Well, so we probably had um, initially as people started responding, we got to a point where we had. What about thirty-seven yeses? Yeah, we had about thirty-seven yeah. hard yeses. Yeah, and then we had some people who didn't respond, and so we thought, well, some of these people we know pretty well, and you know, let's let's reach out and 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 talk to them and have a conversation with them and like see. go to their house, like go to their house. Yeah, That's so scary. 
We did. <laughs> we, went, we actually yeah. called them or we went to their house a couple of times and, you know, we were able to sit with several of our neighbors and say, hey, you know, we'd start with, did you get our letter? And it was usually yes. And sometimes would you care for a flag? And no, thank you. But then, then we were able to have a conversation about the letter and about what we were about because we wanted... At the end of this, we wanted them to know we're still neighbors and yeah. we wanted them to really yeah. understand where we're coming from. We're not it, judging them. Yeah. So you're creating space but, for people who didn't want to put up a flag. Ab absolutely. And, but I just have to say, in, I couldn't have done this all without Willie. I think together we kind of you're egg each other on team. and help each other, <laughs> help each other out here. But when he said, you know, let's go talk to these people and knock on their door, okay, let's do that. And I have to say that one time we were knocking on a door and I looked up at him and I said, my palms are sweaty. <laughs> I am really nervous, nervous about this. But you nervous. know, let me tell you, we ended up sitting in the living room of our neighbor's home and we, we had known him for many years, never sat in their living room before. And we sat and talked with him for over an hour. And it was a wonderful conversation. And, um, I think we both learned something new and both ended up perhaps having some, res a level of respect for each other that maybe we hadn't had before. And, um, you know, their home opted to say no, and that was totally okay. But I feel like I connected with that family on a level more so than I ever had ever had a chance to. And, and for me personally, I feel like, um, it's okay how I feel. You know, I, I sort of had a, a coming out experience, if you will, during this whole process. And I don't have to hide how I really feel as well. And we can still love each other and still be neighborly and still be accepting. So it was worth the sweaty palms. That's cool. Yeah. It's and, really very, very thoughtful. You know, we have to thank our neighbors because um, this wasn't Willie and Christie's project, this was our neighborhood was, and yeah. our neighborhood did it and our neighborhood stepped up and I was so happy with their response. I was so happy that they agreed. And I know that we may have put them in a little bit of an awkward position by even asking them because they probably, you know, some of them said yes, some of them said no, thank you. Some of them probably hadn't thought about it. So they had to think about it. And, you know, we've lived in the neighborhood a long time. We're good friends with all these mm -hmm. people. And so, you know, it, it was it was a neighbor to neighbor ask that we made. And I have to just, you know, a shout out to every one of my neighbors because we we asked them to do something. As Christy said, we asked them to act, but we wanted to do it. Not we could have put 60 in our in our front yard. We don't have that big of a front yard, but we could have, you know, looked like the United Nations there with all these flags. But we wanted the whole neighborhood to send this message and it made a difference. And, and they, by and large, you know, we placed every flag. We ran out of flags. We could have placed probably 20 we more. Yeah, we had requests for more. You know, I, the other thing I want to say about um, kind of the thought process this when I thought, oh, I can buy one flag. And then I went to 10. I thought, you know, when, when one person has one flag out in their neighborhood and they're sort of isolated, it, it is, it's, it's, it's a statement of isolation, which is the whole issue, right? It represents more isolation. But when an entire street or an entire community is lined with the flags, 
the feeling is so different. There is no longer isolation or, oh, that family that's standing out for this. And it really, it was really incredible, really incredible to drive through our neighborhood and see that display of support as a community. I love this and the stories and the conversations that are happening. So it sounds like the door to door, um, yeah, door to door, really made a difference. And mm -hmm. I did you find people then once they saw more flags going up that got the letter, maybe even said no, reach back to you and say, okay, I, I'm understanding more about this, and I want a flag. So what we did is <clears throat> we we sent the the letters out in April, and the flags weren't supposed to go live until May 26. And so we wanted to see if who's in, where we're going to put the flags. We kept a map of our neighborhood and we'd record who's in and who's not. And, and it was a neat process because we got letters in the mail from neighbors, neighbors we didn't expect to hear from. And a letter with $10 and said, thank you, William Christie, for your inclusion and support of this community. And, and these were people that I would have thought would be radio silent. And so I learned to stop being judgy myself, right? And and predispose, predispose my neighbor's thoughts. Um, but we sent the letter out. We were collecting everyone's, you know, are they in, are they out? Where are we going to put the flags? And then we said, we reached out to our neighbors and said, if you want to help put them up, I told the the Project Rainbow, don't put them all up. We'll put them up because they, they'll put them up in the house. Yeah. If you, if you buy a flag, give them your address, they'll put it up. And I said, give me 60 flags, I'll put them up. And so we invited our neighbors to our house on the Saturday before Pride Week. And Christy had uh, breakfast, we had some coffee, juice, you know, rolls, bagels, and things like that, and uh, invited our neighbors over. And we, we loaded up the one car with flags, and we started at one end of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And 14 or 15 people... Yeah. Adults and kids came over and we all marched down to the end of the street and started at one end and started putting flags up one by one. To, and then for... I was going to say, we put flags in every yard that said uh -huh, yes. yes. We put a flag. If they said no, we did not put a flag. And if we didn't know, then we put a note on their door that we had printed up. It was a little flag note that said, hey, um, hello, if you'd like a flag please contact Willie or Christy and uh, we'll get you one, you know, cause we didn't want to leave anyone out. We didn't know if they got the letter or they're not on social media, they're on vacation, whatever. We wanted to make sure everyone had a chance. So this, this morning was incredible because to bring these neighbors together that hadn't interacted that much up until now and doing this project, carrying around these beautiful flags on a beautiful Saturday morning where the sun was shining out and we've got kids and we've got adults and we're walking around and doing this. It was the neatest experience ever. And along the way, we saw people that are outside and the, one of the houses and the entrance um, to our neighborhood had not responded yet. And we kind of had a feeling that maybe they wouldn't, they were a no, but we didn't know. But um, as we're walking by as a group, she comes out to mow her lawn and starts mowing her lawn. So it gave us the opportunity to ask her directly. <laughs> Maybe she felt some peer pressure. I don't know. But she um, she said, yes, I'd love to have a flag. Can you just wait till I mow my lawn? And we said, sure. And, and so it was really neat to go 
neighbor to neighbor again to put up these flags with our neighbors. We're all chatting and talking and having a great time and getting a chance to ask people that hadn't responded. And then, you know, and they'd say, yes, I want a flag. And so I think just, of the, we had, you know, close to 40 yeses. And then as we started putting up the flags, we had another five to 10 say we're in. And then some people doubled down and wanted two. And then we ended up, um, as we got through the whole neighborhood, there were people texting us from the first part of the neighborhood yeah. that, that now got to their door. And one of the last houses that we went to, kind of around the other side of the cul-de-sac, we put a note on their door and they texted us. After everyone had gone home, the flags are up. We had one flag left. And uh, this this woman, who we didn't know, texted us and said, hey, I, I want a flag. And we were like, ah. we had two requests, one flag. and. We said, you know, we sent a letter out. And sorry, we're, we're running out of flags. And she goes, I didn't get the letter. I don't know why, but can you please, I, I want a flag, you know? So she went on an errand. Chris and I went to her house. We put the last flag we had in her yard. And then <laughs> we put the note on her door. We just taped a letter on her door, which the, the letter that we had sent to everyone that she said she didn't get. And then we also put the Mr. Rogers quote, and she called us back and she goes, hey, I want to give you $10 and I want to donate another 100 and I'm bringing it over to your house right now. And she brought over $110 as a contribution to Project Rainbow. And she just couldn't believe the letter and the flag. And she was just so happy. We didn't know this lady. You know, she's mm -hmm. a neighbor that we, we, we didn't know. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the neighborhood raised um, $1,700 for Project Rainbow. Wow. And that yeah. was a big contribution that we made. You know, the, we we contributed to the flags, mm -hmm. and many people contributed above and beyond the ten dollars. And then, so we contributed the six hundred dollars, and then anybody else that contributed beyond that, we just paid it forward to the Rainbow Project. And that was that was a great thing for them because now they can get more flags for next yeah. year. And yeah. We, there's a um, share our listeners some of the so I'm assuming there's just a, an explosion of conversations going on in your neighborhood um, that you have heard some of. I assume you haven't heard all of them, but I'm assuming yeah. you've heard some wonderful conversations. And tell, some, tell them what the reaction was once the flags were up. Yeah, tell us that. Um, yeah, so so through um, through Encircle, some of the people there had known that we were going to attempt to do this in our neighborhood. And they were, they were, um, pretty inspired by that and wanting to know how it went. And, um, then when they found out that we, yeah, we, we got all 60 flags up in our neighborhood, they were truly inspired. And one of our friends there who is a mama dragon posted, um, this part of the letter and what we were about onto mama dragons. And she did that on a Friday morning. And about two hours later, she called me and she said, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't, I didn't expect this to happen, but it's going crazy. And with shares and yeah, comments. with shares. And I ended up having over, um, you know, had 3,500 likes yeah. but what, and, and a couple hundred yeah. comments. But what was unique is it had it has over 800 shares. Yeah. And that, when something's shared that much, it's, it's showing people want this. This is something they want to share. They, yeah. And, and it really, wow. it really struck a chord. And even some, some people that I know that have um, LGBTQ children, even they were afraid to put a flag up 
in their yard. And I think it's because they didn't want to be the only one. And they're, so what I, what I heard from the mama dragons, a lot of the comments were all about, oh my gosh, I want my neighborhood to do this. And I've been afraid, um, even if they have a gay children and, um, they're inspired to do that now. And I really, my thing was, oh, oh my gosh, you know, let's every neighborhood next year. And I hope that what we've done is inspired people that, you know what, you, you can do this and it may take stepping out of your comfort zone and actually talking to your neighbors. But the important part was that look at all the discussions and the conversations that were happening. And for us, we realized, okay, it doesn't, it didn't matter what side of the fence actually ultimately our neighbors ended up on, whether they wanted a flag or didn't want a flag. It's the fact that we were all finally talking about it and having the conversations within our own home. And that's so important to require people who maybe, maybe really haven't had a, a, a personal reason to think about this. Now it became personal because they had to decide, do I want a flag or not? And they had to wrestle with it. And that's a good thing. That was a really good thing. So we hope lots of neighborhoods do this next year. We had a couple of really interesting stories. One, we had talked to one of our neighbors, great, great guy, and, and um, he had said he was going to put up a flag, and then we drove by once, and he said, hey, where's my flag? And I said, well, it's, not, it's not time yet. And so he said, okay. I said, you're still in, right? He said, yeah. He said, we had a family home evening on the Good Samaritan, and we used the letter with our children to talk about it, and to say how important it is to love others that are different from how we are or different from us. And that's the commandment from the Savior is to love one another. And the Good Samaritan is a great example of loving people who are completely different than you are. And that gave that family an opportunity for them to have a conversation. And one of the children shared with their parents that they have a friend who's LGBT, that that I'm not sure the details, but I think the child felt more comfortable and more safe having that conversation because the parents were putting a flag up. And then along that same line, we, we both, Christy and I both had um, kids that grew up with our kids in the neighborhood that have now they're, they're, they've moved out, they're married or they're in college and they came back and they reached out to us and told us how how they teared up when they pulled into their neighborhood to see the flags. And so these are, these are, and that they were excited to see their parents having a flag in their yard. That meant a lot to them. And I think, I think it's what we all know is everybody wants to be accepted, but the most important acceptance comes from your family. That's the most important acceptance to be accepted by your mom and your dad, and your grandma, and your grandpa. And when a child, or a, a, a son or a daughter comes into the neighborhood and sees their parents or their grandparents, which is the case in our neighborhood, putting up pride flags, and they're LGBT, they're feeling the acceptance from their, from their family, from their parents and their grandparents, and that's, that's huge to them. I mean, that's validation that's beyond their friends or their colleagues at work or their schoolmates. This is their parents who they, everyone wants to be loved by their parents. And 
Well, and I, I also think it communicates, and this is so, you're stating this so well, that I'm safe to talk to about other issues too. I know when I was a singles word bishop and posted some kind things about LGBTQ, it just, the floodgates of conversation just opened up because I was safe. Right. And it wasn't, it was often the straight kids that opened up with really, I don't want to say complex stuff, but just stuff they needed to talk about. Yeah. And, and that, it, that wasn't always sin related. It was just their life's journey. Right. And that's, that's something that I want to say too, is that, um, with the kids that were reaching out to us and saying, this is so neat and I'm so happy to see my parents doing this as well. Um, you know, they may not be LGBTQ, but everybody's struggling with something and wants acceptance in areas that perhaps they don't feel accepted for. And all this says is that, Hey, it's, it's okay. And we are a safe place to again, talk and, and share, and you can be accepted. We're craving these authentic, vulnerable discussions that create real, authentic connection. Yes. So I would, I would think the aggregate connection of your ward, of your neighborhood community, because mm -hmm. you've had real, authentic, vulnerable discussions, is I'm thinking of several stories you've said where you're connecting. Yes. And we're craving for that. As and I think we and are. So I think this yeah. issue has a chance, like you're doing your neighbor, not to polarize us, no. but to actually no. bring us together. Yeah. And you're so kind about creating space for people that didn't want to flag. You didn't want to create more tension. You actually wanted to create more community. Well, and, and you have to have people who don't want to flag because that's diversity, right? I mean, people have different thoughts and people have different approaches. So I, I, I had long conversations with people who don't, didn't want to flag and and they they're not flag people they're not extroverted people they don't want to have a flag of any kind per se in front of their house because that's not the type of people they are that doesn't mean they're not loving and accepting um, but the flags were a great show of acceptance and it helped get that message across we we have unique stories that we think um tell us some more stories well what one funny story is we were setting up the flags and i went to a neighbor who um i don't know well and they were out in their driveway and i asked him if they wanted a flag and he said no and it was kind of a dismissive no and then later there was a flag in their yard and so i thought uh oh something's gone wrong, I need to go apologize to my neighbor because that was my greatest fear was to offend or to not honor what somebody wanted. So Chris and I walked up and knocked on the door and the homeowner answered and I said, hey, I owe you an apology. There's a flag in your yard and I know you told me you didn't want one. And he said, I owe you an apology because I was having a bad day. And after you came, my wife explained to me your letter and what you're trying to do. And we wanted a flag. So I took one from across the street. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I, and yeah. I said, Hey, keep it, you know? Yeah. So that was just a neat story. A story. And, and, but I wondered about the conversation that, 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 that home had, you know, they had a conversation about it. No, no, we want a flag. And this is about, you know, love and acceptance, or I'm not sure what the conversation was. I didn't go there, but we saw that we saw um, some people reached out on Facebook and um, in, and asked for flags and yeah, I had um, one neighbor that had not responded and we had sent them a letter and they weren't home and we were going around and doing the flags so we just you know let it let it go and the morning after all the flags 
were up in our neighborhood, I got a text from her and she said, driving down Autumn Ridge makes me, my heart so happy. Well done, my friend. And I thought, oh, that's cool. interesting. So of course I responded with, would you like a flag? And it took her a while to respond. But um, when she did, she said, oh, my husband and I have had so many conversations about this. And we're not going to be able to at this time. But I have a family member that is dear to me that is gay. And I also had um, someone dear to me commit suicide, not for this you know, reason, but I know that that's part of this cause. And she said, after driving down this street next year, I'm putting two up in my yard. And I just, you know, I said, that's great. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is what this is about. And, you know, she and her husband are dialoguing about it and having conversations and it may not be easy, but it needs to happen. And it's, uh, and sometimes it's, those dialogues can give couples better communication skills and better foundation to dialogue on other issues. I think sometimes it can create some tension, but it can actually help in the long run. Sure. Sure. Talk about this, and I want to hear more of your stories. Some people say, well, I'm condoning same-sex marriage, or they see a pride flag. and they inter- You know, there's a lot of people that are LGBTQ that are living church standards, so I think it's thoughtful not just to see a pride flag and think sin <laughs> or think yeah. someone that's living outside the doctrine of our church, because it shifted for me when I just thought, this is in a different community. This is my own, these are my own, this is my own tribe that's LGBTQ. Um, family or ward members, but I, I assume you've get some people. It's rightly so. Feel like I feel like I'm condoning. I feel like I'm giving a green light to people live to live doctrine that I don't believe in. How do you handle those conversations? Go ahead, Willie, because you you had one well, conversation like that. Well, I mean, there are people who feel that way, and you know, who am I to judge those people? Right? They, I. That's not the purpose of the flags that we had that the letter tried to spell out that we're trying to say that there's acceptance for people who for who they are. And I'll let I my job is to love one another and I'll let God judge people. Um, that's that's up to him. I, I can't do that. And I don't know what's in their mind. I don't know what's in their hearts. I don't know where they've been. I don't know where they're going. I know that the opportunity is to celebrate and embrace everyone for what, how unique they are. And people bring, I mean, you know, we have artists, we have designers, we have accountants, we have computer scientists, we have lawyers, we have marketing people, we have financial advisors. Everyone brings something to our community and they're unique and their personal traits and personal characteristics contribute. So the message we were sending was acceptance and we're not getting into the um, beliefs or practices, um, the sexuality. That's not for us to judge. And Encircle has a great motto that we have a sign in our house that says this, no sides, only love. And really that's it's easier and it's less complicated when we can just love and we don't take a side. I'm not going to force someone to be like me or believe what I believe, or they can't force me to believe what they believe, but I can accept them for their uniqueness, celebrate their uniqueness and 
heaven forbid if I was to judge them because they weren't like me. Yeah, and I'm comfortable with that as, you know, as an active Latter-day Saint, I I can stand for my beliefs in my personal path and it's and it's right for me, but I can also um sort of as part of our doctrine, do what you're doing, Willie and Christy. Is, so to me, it's not like I'm ignoring our doctrine. I'm actually implementing the doctrine mm-hmm. of Christ to love everybody. It's not like I'm selling, I, I'm not standing for my truth or not standing for my beliefs. My beliefs are to do what you do. And I have my own personal path that works for me. And I invite others, you know, to consider that path. But at the end of the day, I honor everybody in their path. And and even that pride flag I go back to it doesn't mean someone's leaving our church or our doctrine or it doesn't. I think sometimes people see those colors and we th- we interest in immediately create a brand image in our mind of that's not that's a group of people that aren't our people. And I think that's one of the things you're doing with the flag at homes is is it humanizes LGBTQ as our own people and. I love this quote just to follow up that's helped me because I haven't known how to navigate this space all the time. And and this is from Tom Christofferson's book, and it was used by Brother Eric Huntsman at BYU at his devotional there. He says, accepting others does not mean we condone, agree with, or conform to their beliefs or choices, but simply we allow the reality of their lives to be different from our own. Mm. Just We allow for it. Yeah. Yeah, I like that and a then, lot. We create space and right. we create authentic belonging and we, I think people belong and they feel accepted, then they're less likely to be suicidal. They don't feel like they have to fit into a certain way. For a gay brother and sister, it's really hard to fit in if we don't, you know, they can belong then um, because of who they are. And it doesn't mean they're going to leave. It doesn't mean they're going to choose a life. But if they do, we just sort of honor their path. Mm-hmm. And like you talking about, we just leave that at the Savior's feet and our job is just to love. Right. And more, th- I want to come back to, st- I want to do two things still in the time. I want to talk about any more stories you want to share that just the conversations you're aware of. And then I'd love to talk about the future and what you hope to do next year and, and what advice, because a lot of our listeners and a lot of, I know you, this is one of the cool things about your stories that's gone viral. And so there's a lot of people says, I can do what Willie and Christy did next mm-hmm. year. So both of those, any other stories and what advice you have for people that want to do what you did? Yeah, there is, you know, great stories. After Mama Dragons posted it and it went crazy there on Friday, it jumped over to other social media communities. Reddit had a, you know, couple thousand uh, people like it and comment and share about it. there is a, a great story, uh, someone in our neighborhood, not on our street, so didn't get the original letter, but saw it on Facebook and um, sent us an email and reached out by email and said, um, we would like to to have a flag. So we said, great. And so because that person wasn't in our immediate neighborhood, they hadn't got a letter, I took one over to them because I didn't want anyone to have a flag without knowing the genesis of it and have the letter, so I took that over. But we also got a letter from this person's spouse or a, a note that said, no, no, we don't want a flag. <laughs> and we thought, okay, well, there's conflicting messages here. <clears throat> and we, we just let it sit. And a couple of days later, they said, oh, we had a miscommunication. We'd love a flag. We put money under your door, under your, your mat. So it's kind of interesting that there was a conversation in that household too. So that was a good example 
of that. And then kind of, I think one of the a more tender story was when Mama Dragons posted the, the story of the flags and a picture of our neighborhood, they posted some of the letter. And we were at the Pride Parade on uh, Sunday after the story had gone viral on Mama Dragons. And I was standing with the woman who posted it on Mama Dragons at the Mama Dragons booth. And she got a text as I was standing there from another Mama Dragon that said, I read your post and the letter from the Donahues over the pulpit in my sacrament meeting today as wow. part of my testimony. Wow. And she said- And how, she had sweaty palms. <laughs> yeah. And she talked about how- um, Courage gives other people courage. Well, yeah. how everyone responded. And everyone, how, how she was nervous, she had sweaty palms, she was really nervous about doing it, but everybody responded positively. So there's a, a real key learning and takeaway here is that the people are awesome. I mean, their hearts are in the right place. They want to accept, and we're learning as a community. Christy and I are learning, our neighborhood's learning, everyone's learning. What's the right way to communicate acceptance and love and, you know, not take you out of your comfort zone from what you believe is right or, and, and wrong, but that we can love each other unconditionally. And then, you know, the, the, one of the big things to take away was when this went viral on social media, it got picked up by the news, and then we got requests by um, a KSL reporter that wanted to cover it. And we thought that was great. Uh, you know, KSL is a, a, a more church-owned or... or, or, or audience church audience and we thought well this is great and so they came over to our home they did and they spent an hour with us and we got yeah. a chance to talk to them and then we had them go visit some neighbors and they talked to um you know dave brown and raquel call and jill lovell i mean our great neighbors that were involved in this project they all got to talk to ksl and ksl had a great story that that they put out online that talked about how unconditional love is accepted there in our neighborhood. And I thought that's, that's exactly what we were hoping for. And th there was one other story that happened right after we put the flags up. And we had mentioned that one of the first messages that we got was from the calls. They had a gay son. And after we put the flags up, she was gardening in front of her house. And someone pulled up and said, hey, what's the deal with all the flags? And she told her, this person, this is a stranger, not a neighbor. This is someone that just saw him. And came into our neighborhood and uh, she explained to her what we were trying to do. And the lady got out of her car and was crying and gave uh, Raquel call a, a hug and said, I just can't believe that I have a gay daughter and she's in the car. And so they had a really great moment. She's there. in the car. Yeah. She yeah. was in the car. They seeing yeah. a neighborhood with a bunch of flags. Yeah. And they were just amazing. So we had that experience where a lot of the mama dragons came to our neighborhood and these people have been, through very, very unique journeys, but some of them very painful in trying to be accepted, trying to have, you know, the love of their neighbors and, and, and help them with their children and stuff like that. And it's been a tough road for some people. And when they saw a neighborhood that, that could be their neighborhood with all these flags, you know, their hearts were exploding. They were, and lots of tears. I had a woman from Draper that I don't know somehow reached out to me and said that she had driven through our neighborhood when this occurred and she loved seeing it. And she has a gay son 
and her gay son drove through the neighborhood and was crying, FaceTiming his boyfriend, showing them him all the, the flags throughout our neighborhood. So lots of tears of gratitude for the neighbors displaying this show of acceptance. I love the heart of the mama dragons. That's been oh. very helpful for me in my journey is to read stories of moms in particular who have hearts that know their gay kids. Mm -hmm. And as they felt our faith community not fully know how to minister to them in their time of maybe greatest need yeah. where they've got an LGBTQ kid and, and they're doing their very best to support this kid. And that's difficult. And our, and our faith community often doesn't quite know what to do and pulls back and adds to their burden. Why what you did, you know, and how healing that is to a mama dragon's heart that you know those hearts, even though those aren't your own hearts, because you don't. And that's and that to me is just part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort. I'm, you know this, and I share this a lot. Um, Alma, when he extended that baptism invitation in Mosiah 18 at the Waters of Mormon, didn't start with commandments. He started with how to treat people. Mm. He went with bear, mourn, and comfort. And that, as you're communicating, is part of our responsibility of disciples of Christ. And what you're doing is just an example of that. And, and then it draws other people because they can go, I can do that. Mm -hmm. And they see the healing and they see the hope and they see all the things that you're seeing. And it's part of what Christ would want us to do as we're stretched. Mm -hmm. This is part of a societal issue that's me meant to be in our day to stretch us, just like other societal issues have stretched us. And, and to step in, I have a friend that calls it choppy water. It's choppy water. Yeah. And you saw that in your neighborhood with the with just how, and I think, but you have this maturity, this this love of everybody and also a way to articulate things in a way that I don't think activates people very easily. They sense your hearts and you have this kindness of creating space for people everywhere on this issue, but let's at least talk about it and let's figure out, you know, the principles that apply here so we can talk about it. More thoughts on other stories well, and also the future. I just follow up on your comfort. You know, we have a, commandment to comfort those that stand in need of comfort. And I can't, I don't know a community that's in more need right now, that's more topical right now than this. And I, I sometimes see that we're preparing for earthquakes and things like that. And yet we have this, we have a, a challenge with our youth, particularly here in Utah, that are struggling. They're struggling with being accepted. They're struggling with being able to measure up. And they measure up. They're, the, they're, they're awesome. And they just need to know that. So our opportunity to and commandment to comfort those that stand in need of comfort, to me, is part of what we're, why we're doing this. I mean, that's just, it, it's my, me fulfilling that obligation and commandment to do that. And, and you know, when we do that, Richard, we win. I mean, our hearts are filled. We find ourselves. We lose ourselves in the service of others. It's when we find ourselves. And so it's terrible to be able, to, it's terrible to do this and think it's for them when it does so much for ourselves. We are healed. We become more aware. And so that, that's a big deal. Well, and I think 
that's certainly my experience is I think my LGBTQ friends are helping me become the disciple that God wants me to be, that I couldn't become without them in my life. And I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan, and there's many layers of that. And one is that a group of people can ex exhibit superior moral behavior who are the ones we think are the least, as the Samaritan does when he, when he you know, does what he did there. And so that's certainly, I think, part of what I'm learning, and I don't think we become the body of Christ without our LGBTQ members part of us and the things that they can teach us and their Christ-like attributes and their gifts. And it's Elder Holland's choir where we have all these different parts of the choir that create the beautiful harmony. And we're missing a lot of those voices because we haven't figured out a way to help them feel like they belong. They can fit in and be heteronormative and not talk about being LGBTQ. And some of that works, but I think they've got to be authentic of who they are if they're going to fit in and we've got to create space that we want you the way you are. And God created you the way you are because it's, you're beautiful and you're a needed member of society and you're not broken. You don't need to be fixed. And you know that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Talk yeah. about any other stories of the future. Well, I think will you do this next year, Christy and Willie. Yeah, we will. And I think we'll do, um, we'll do better next year. Um, and what I'd like to do, I don't really know how to do this, but I'd like to help other neighborhoods do it. And it really, it really, you know, we've got a little bit of a template here. I, I posted on Mama Dragons, use our letter. Great. <laughs> Every neighborhood next year. It takes one person just to. Every neighborhood kind of, next year. Yeah. It just takes one person to um, step outside and invite the neighborhood to participate with you. And the most amazing thing can happen. I mean, we have deeper friendships with our neighborhood, with some neighbors that we hadn't, that we knew, but hadn't really connected with. And we're, we're connected with them on such a deeper level now than I've ever been able to do. And we, I feel more, I feel more authentic and they feel more authentic. And and so not only from, hey, this is, this is a great cause to support this community that feels marginalized and is hurting right now and we can help the suicide rate, but it helps us as well as neighbors and having deeper friendships. So I want to encourage everybody that's listening to, you know, really, really um, activate yourselves. And it's a simple thing to put a flag out in front of your yard, really. And it will... And you'll be able to engage in so many conversations and dialogues with people that you wouldn't otherwise. And hopefully, hopefully we'll have more neighborhoods doing this. And, and in five to 10 years, it'd be great if we don't need flags anymore. Well said, Willie, your thoughts on the future and well, any, I, I think this we'll keep doing it till it's not needed. I mean, it's a topical issue right now. It's needed. I told Christy, I'd love to, you know, resolve this issue, help everyone feel accepted, be our best selves. We, we believe, and Christy and I have believed this since we first came to Utah, that Utah is awesome. And we believe we can do better than we're doing right now, and we can do it faster. And this is an urgent issue. It's something that we need to um, get out there that everyone feels accepted, everyone is loved. We are a community of of different types of people and that we can um, love one another. I think that's really important. There's other issues. There's, we have 
air that needs to be clean. We have parking at Snowbird that needs to be fixed. We have lots of things to do. Um, but this is something that we're focused on right now and we'll continue to do it. And we just want to, again, thank our neighbors because this is not something that we did. This is something, it our, is neighborhood something that our neighborhood did. did. And, Absolutely. And the, our neighborhood is, is, uh, is where we live. It's where we, that's, that's where our home is. And, um, if they've just been great. So thank you neighbors. Well, I'm thinking of the closet LGBTQ people in your neighborhood or that drove through your neighborhood that, you know, they're going to be in a little better spot and those conversations may not have happened yet, mm-hmm. but I have to think that they're feeling a little bit better and a little more hope and conversations that they need to have may happen a little earlier. And, and there may be closet LGBTQ people, kids living in one, those homes that flew the flag mm-hmm. and, Sure. I can't think of a better thing that you can do as a parent to a, a closeted or LGBTQ kid or a kid that's maybe not sure and isn't ready to talk about it, but I don't think they'll ever forget the flag that mom and dad and that mom and dad are safe and that mom and dad are safe for lots of conversations if they're going to put a flag. Absolutely. And I just think that's a great parenting principle. And I love this family it did a family home evening around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're mm-hmm. an incredible family. Yeah. They're there was all the neighbors shared with us how they took pictures. They sent them to their kids that moved away. They sent them to their sisters and brothers that live in other parts of the country. And they're amazed. So this is something that, you know, we, we've talked about social media going viral and here we're talking about it, you know, on a podcast, but every person on that neighborhood was surprised. We were surprised by, by the, how it came together, how it worked. And everyone was sharing that and they were surprised and shared it. So this is something that it's a great message. We think it was enormously positive, enormously successful. Um, the neighborhood did good. We are so thankful for what they did and, and so appreciative. And we hope it, it, it does make life better for, for us. It's made life better for us. And we hope it makes life better for other people. Any concluding comments, either of you would like to give Christy and then Willie? Yeah, I I am just really looking forward to the future. And I I'm excited I'm more excited about my neighborhood actually than I ever have been. We we have always had a great neighborhood, but I kind of feel like through this experience, we all we all got naked with each other a little bit. And, um, it's, it's taken our neighborhood to a whole nother level and I've gotten to know people better and I was able to see into, into their hearts and see how they really feel. And we all together stepped outside of ourselves a little bit and went through this experience together. And that's something I think that we'll never forget. Thank you, Christy. Willie, I should tease Willie that he is a lawyer past the California bar without going to law school. I didn't know you could do that, but if you Google his name in California Bar, you might find the article that got written about him. So I'm not advising that for all of you in law school, but he has done something pretty unique, and that's just Willie. So, Willie, your well, final remarks. Thank you. Um, you know, I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to you for your interest in this, and thank you to Christy, because... She's super. I knew that when I met her. And this is just another example of what she does and how she does it. I'm happy to help her. And I'm happy that our community came together and our neighborhood came together. 
And, you know, there's a saying, you lift me, I lift thee, and we ascend together. And that's what's happening in our little neighborhood. That's what happens with Christy and I. So I just am so grateful for all of that and uh, look forward to how this makes our community better in the future. So thank you, Willie and Christy Donahoe, for joining us on another thank episode you, of Listen, Learn, and Love. And we'll post um, on the social media and the podcast copy, a copy of their letter. You can get to that as well as the Mama Dragons article, maybe the KSL article. So that those of you that want to do this, just have all the tools. I think it's scalable mm-hmm. um, in the sense that what you do, what you did can be done. It doesn't, you don't need government approval. You don't need, it's scalable. And I think we're looking for things to do. And so that's why I think this could really be a wonderful thing. Thanks, Tom Garbett, who is our producer, edits all these podcasts. And if you have time, please rate our podcast, your thoughts. Very helpful for possible future listeners to hear your thoughts. I I know iTunes has a great way to rate podcasts and the other platforms you're listening. So thank you, our listeners.